Well, this morning we continue our journey through the book of James. Today we're in James chapter 3, and uh, if this is your first Sunday here, or you've been here a few weeks, we've been working our way at, uh, from the start of James. We're going to go through all five chapters. We've got four or five more weeks to go, so you hadn't, uh, hadn't come too late to the game. Uh, today we're in James chapter 3, so let me encourage you to take your Bible. And I'm reading and going to be uh, uh, speaking from the, out of the New King James Version. Your version may be different, but I think you'll still be able to follow along. But the main thing is, whether you're using your Bible app or your Bible you brought with you, uh, keep it open because we're going to circle back and go through these uh, verses and verses and see the lines. So keep your Bible open. And at home, you keep your Bible open as well. We hadn't forgotten about you at home watching our live stream. I know we have a large live stream audience. And so we'll all journey through this together. Also, if you brought your listening guide, um, we make these available at uh, fbcborough.church every Friday. You can download these and print these uh, listening guides to take notes on or use uh, your note-taking app, whatever you might have. But let's consider what it means, according to the Scriptures, about walking in wisdom. Now, remember, James is the younger brother of Jesus. And during this time in the first century, he's the leader of the church there in Jerusalem. Now, chronological-wise, uh, James is writing this letter not too many years before Paul and Barnabas are going to go on their first missionary journey. And so Paul and Barnabas are about to start their journeys, and then a decade or two later, Paul would write those letters back. We call them the letters of Paul. So J James is one of the first letters ever written in the New Testament time. In chapter 3, verse 13, he talks about walking in wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Uh, walking in wisdom. How, how do you do that each and every day? Let me share a story that I first read in a wonderful book written by J.I. Packer a great Bible teacher, preacher, a Christian leader who died just this year, and the Lord had brought him into heaven. The book is entitled Knowing God, and indeed it is commonly referred to as one of the, of all the books written since the founding of the Christian faith. This is one of the top ten books in the history of Christian faith, uh, Knowing God. And in this book, J.I. Packer tells a story about people looking for wisdom and guidance, and, and he uses the illustration of, of being in a subway system. You know, you're standing there at the stub, subway platform, and, and the trains are zooming by, and, and you get on the train, and, and the subway train, and it takes you to this dark tunnel, and you get off someplace, you go up a platform, and, and many people think, I just wish I could somehow get up in the control room and see all the different lines together. Look at the spider web of networks. How this train goes that way and that train goes this way and they connect over here and that platform leads to the platform. And wouldn't it be nice that if somehow you had enough wisdom to be able to be in the control room and see how it all fits together. But J.I. Packer rightly says it'll never be that way. There'll never be a time in your life 
where you'll be like you're in the control room and you can see how it all fits together. You can't pray enough. You can't read the Bible enough. You can't live long enough where you'll be able to see how all the pieces of the universe fit together. But, he says, what God's wisdom will do for you, it's as if a better illustration is you're driving a car down a road and it's a dark, moonless night. You can't see anything. And there's a sharp curve that comes up unexpectedly. And there's rain is pouring down and the wind is blowing. What God's wisdom does for you is in that moment, in that particular situation, God's wisdom helps you to know the right way to navigate right where you are. It doesn't give you a view of the control room where you see how it all fits together. But in a particular moment, in a particular circumstance, in a particular season of your life, God's wisdom will help you to know what to do. Here's the main thing to know as we consider walking in wisdom based upon what James says. Godly wisdom enables me to know right and to do right. That if I have godly wisdom, wisdom from above, not wisdom from below, that in whatever I'm facing in my life, whatever you're facing in your life, God's wisdom will enable you to know what's right and to do what's right. So whatever your circumstances, you, you'll never be in the control room. So maybe your circumstances, you've just lost your job. You don't know why that sharp curve came out unexpectedly, but you're right in the middle of it. Wisdom will help you navigate that sharp curve. Or maybe you got a diagnosis from a doctor that you're not sure what the treatment's going to be or if there's any help for it, and, and you find yourself on a dark night, a dark moonless night, where wisdom will help you know in that dark moment of your life what to know what's right and, and how to do what's right. Or maybe you've got some very personal family problems you hadn't told anything, anybody about, but they're weighing heavily on your life. Well, well as, as that thunderstorm rolls in your life, wisdom will help you to know what's right in that moment and how to do what's right. God's wisdom doesn't put you in a position where you can see all the reasons for suffering and pain and, and why the wicked seem to prosper and why bad things happen to good people. No, but in a particular moment, in a particular season, whatever's going on in your life, God's wisdom will help you know what is right and help you to, to know how to do what's right. James describes that here. He says uh, in verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that is works. Your life is being led in the meekness of wisdom. I want to work the three questions today. Let me rattle them off for you. Question number one is going to be, What's wrong with worldly wisdom? James tells us what's wrong. Second question is what's right with godly wisdom? And the third question is how do you walk in godly wisdom each day as, you, as you're in the midst of that sharp curve you didn't expect? How do you navigate it with wisdom? So the first question James deals with is what's wrong with worldly wisdom? James gives a great illustration of what wisdom that's from above, but verse 15, he says, this other kind of wisdom does not descend from above, but, and he gives you a, a triad to look at, a, a three-fold look. He says, first, 
Wisdom of the world is earthly. That's what's wrong with it. it it's of this earth. It's not from above. It's not heavenly. It is, it is earthly. And of all the traps and all the shallow and empty promises of this world, it's earthly. Be careful of it. The second descriptor is that it is sensual. Now, when we use the word sensual in today's world, we usually think it's something, you know, sultry or salacious. Or, but it means of the senses, you know, of the flesh. You can touch it, feel it, you know, taste it of the flesh. Really, the translation is non-spiritual. It's not a spiritual thing. It's, it's, it's a flesh. We probably say it's a fleshly thing. It's something of the flesh, of the senses. Now, we kind of use the word flesh that way sometimes in our world. When, whenever you lose your temper or somebody upsets you or some driver cuts you off or you've been waiting for a parking space and somebody zooms in there in front of you. Now, that's a faith moment. I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> and you might say, well, I'm about to get into the flesh. <laughs> well, that's, that's what that word kind of means. It's, it's not spiritual, but it's of the flesh. The New King James Version uses the word sensual. And then the third descriptor is demonic. Wisdom of the world is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Now, this is not the first time James has talked about demons and demonics. In chapter 2, verse 19, he says, If you believe there's one God, you do well, because even the demons believe, and they tremble. So, you believe there's a God? Well, big deal. Even the demons believe in that. The real point is, do you have a faith relationship with Jesus Christ? So he talks about demons in chapter 2, and he comes back to demons in chapter 3, saying the wisdom of this world is earthly, sensual, and it is demonic. Now, we live in a world today that we're, we're infatuated with our enlightenment and our intelligence. I mean, we got the DNA, whatcha doji all mapped out. I don't even know what it's called. Uh, we can send a spaceship to Mars and send back these high-definition uh, uh, pictures. I mean, we, we know we figured this out, we figured that out. And people think, haven't we become smart enough in today's world that we realize all that gobbledygook about demons and angels and the, and the things of the spiritual, isn't that just superstitious? Well, not if you take the Bible as God's Word. James, the brother of Jesus, believed there were demonic things happening. Jesus himself talked about demons in the demonic world. And whether you believe it or not, you are not fighting against flesh and blood. You are fighting against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, whether you want to admit it or not. And when people live by the worldly wisdom, the empty promises and man-made uh, machinations of this world, that is earthly, it is sensual, and ultimately it is a spiritual demonic force. It's demonic. But James doesn't uh, just use his, this triad uh, flippantly. He's really teaching us what, what many theologians over the centuries have said are the main three sources of temptation, which are often called uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And James uses that triplet perhaps in that same sense. Things which are earthly, that's of the world, Things which are sensual, that's of the flesh. Things that are demonic, that's of the devil. And the three great sources of temptation are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Think about the temptations you face in your life. Most likely that every temptation you face either has its source in the world or in your flesh or in the devil. Isn't that what we see when Jesus was tempted in the early chapters of the Gospels? Jesus, uh, after his baptism, went out into the wilderness and for 40 days ate or drank nothing and 
The devil came to tempt Jesus. And he tempted Jesus according to the world, according to the flesh, and according to who he was as the devil. The devil took Jesus up to a high mountain and, said, and showed him all the worldly kingdoms and said, these could be yours, tempted him according to the world. He'd been fasting for 40 days and said, are you hungry? Is your flesh worn out? Why don't you turn those stones into bread? Now, after 40 days, don't you imagine Jesus was hungry? I, mean, I can't even walk and drive past Krispy Kreme without my car trying to turn in to get in there. At, uh, and so Jesus was tempted in the flesh. He said, hey, why not turn that, that stone into bread? He tempted him with the world, tempted him with the flesh. And the devil said in, in the temptation stories, he said, won't you bow down and worship me, the devil said. And so Jesus faced temptation according to the world, the flesh, and the devil. When you face temptation, it's either sourced by the world, your flesh, or the devil. And James, the brother of Jesus, says that wisdom of the world is earthly, sensual, and demonic, the same triplets of the world, the flesh, and the devil. But it doesn't end there. He says it gets even worse than that. Because worldly wisdom will lead you first to bitter envy. He mentions that in verses 14 and 16. You still got your Bible open? Verses 14 and 16. He says, if you have bitter envy, then link that to verse 1. You're not showing the meekness of wisdom. When you don't have godly wisdom, you're going to have a life of bitter envy. How many people are eaten alive by the bitterness of envy? Because something in the world didn't work the way they wanted it to. Worldly wisdom leads to bitter envy. Also in verses 14 and 16, he talks about selfish ambition. Now the King James Version, um, the New King James Version uses the phrase self-seeking. It's kind of a rare term, but it means selfish ambition. We know what that means. People put in themselves first. I mean, that wasn't just a problem in the first century. That's a problem in this century. People put in themselves first. And when you follow the wisdom of the world, it says go first. Be first. This is your best life now. Do everything you can. Live large. That's selfish ambition. And that's sensual. That's earthly. And that's demonic. And so James gives us this warning about it all. But he also describes godly wisdom. If worldly wisdom is so bad, well, then what's so great? What's right with, with godly wisdom? Verse 17, he really digs down into that. He says, when you live with wisdom from God that enables you to know right and do right, you're, you, you are enabled to live a pure life. He says in verse 17, wisdom that is from above, as a contrast to that which is from below, it is first pure. Now that word pure there means moral purity. That you're able to live a life of moral purity. Wisdom, because when you know, when you know what's right and you do what's right, that's how you live a life of moral purity. You don't have to go to seminary to learn that. You don't have to get an advanced uh, theological degree. You just, you know what's right and you do what's right, and that leads to moral purity. And, and, the, and the problem is we, we know what's right, but we don't always do what's right. But wisdom enables you to do both. And also, this sense of purity was used to describe Jesus himself. Uh, the references in, by the, the, the Apostle John, 1 John chapter 3 Verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him, Christ, purifies himself 
just as he, just as Jesus is pure. And when John uses that phrase that Jesus is pure, that's the same phrase that James is saying here that wisdom will help you first to be pure. That your life can model the life and the purity of Jesus, not because you worked yourself into a spiritual frenzy, but because you knew what was right and you did what was right. God's wisdom enabled you to live a life that was pure. Have you ever heard the phrase that people say, you are the only Jesus some people will ever see? That's been around for a long time. I remember that when I was a young man, which was a long time ago. (laughs) That you're the only Jesus somebody's ever going to see. They may never read a Bible They may never go to a church, but the life you live is the only Jesus some people are ever going to see. Well, if that's the case, they're seeing the wrong Jesus from a lot of people, aren't they? And you have no hope of displaying the righteousness of Jesus, the godliness of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the purity of Jesus. We have no way of, of displaying the beauty of Jesus if we aren't knowing what's right and doing what's right, which is what God's wisdom enables us to do. Wisdom enables you to live a pure life, to live like Jesus lived. A second thing godly wisdom does is it enables you to have a peaceable life. He says, still in verse 17, first is pure, then then peaceable. Notice verse 18, he says, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We are to be peacemakers. Jesus in the Beatitudes, be blessed are the, the peacemakers. James never directly quotes his older brother Jesus, but a lot of Jesus' teachings bubble up in the writings of James. Peacemakers, living with peace. And the world doesn't have a sense of what, what peace is all about. Look at, look at the world left to its own devices. Look at the human heart. And naturally, what the world turns to is that which is, as verse 15 says, earthly, sensual, and demonic. Hate, wars, strife, jealousy, envy. That's the nightly news, isn't it? Just turn on the news at night. You can see what is earthly, sensual, and demonic. But James says we're to be people of peace and be people who make peace. It was Rick Warren from uh, Saddleback uh, uh, Ministry in California that said, peacemakers are rare because peacemaking is hard work. It's hard work. Go out in the world today, try to make peace. It feels like the world will chew you up and spit you out. But yet, wisdom from God helps us to be people who live with peace. A third thing it tells us in verse 17 is God's wisdom enables you to have a yielded life. Your life is yielded. I almost in my study time used the word submitted, but yield is really a better word. The next two or three phrases in 17, he says you can be gentle. The apostle Paul said that's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Faithfulness, self-control, gentle, being gentle. Arrogant people are rarely gentle people. Have you noticed that? Those that follow the wisdom of the world, and the problem is they don't realize the wisdom of the world is earthly, sensual, demonic, and has bitter envy and selfish ambition. <laughs> and rarely does that yield a life of somebody who's gentle. <laughs> but somebody who walks in godly wisdom 
yields in a sense of gentleness than the phrase James uses, willing to yield. Our lives are to be yielded. We, we yield our lives ultimately unto the Lordship of Jesus. And if we're going to walk in wisdom, we need to have a yield. We need to yield our life to Jesus. It's not my life. It's not your life. I have yielded my life unto Jesus as my Lord and Savior and King. And I wonder, in today's world, do we really live lives that demonstrate we have yielded our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, if our lives are no different than the lives of our unbelieving neighbor that lives across the street, then are we really yielded to Jesus Christ? If we're more committed to our civic clubs and our hunting clubs and our dance lessons and our ball games than we are to a local church, are we really yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ? If we can't give him 10 cents on a dollar, can we really say we've yielded our life to Jesus? If we live like the world and act like the world and think like the world and carry on like the world and carouse around like the world, how in the world do we think we say we've yielded our lives to Jesus? But James really is not talking about yielding to Jesus here. He's talking about yielding to others. In some ways, yielding to Jesus is easier than yielding to that guy I don't like <laughs> and the spirit of Christian love. You know, that's the hard part. But he's talking about yielding to others. Y'all remember several years ago when the uh, neighborhood Walmart was built on Fair Road? We called it the Small Mart. <laughs> And right where the customers cross the, the death zone, you know, where cars are driving back, when they cross the death zone, they put on the crosswalk, they, they painted the word yield, but they misspelled it. Y'all remember that? And we just, everybody had a lot of fun because they, they got the E before the I and instead of the I before the E, something like that. They misspelled it and they tried to paint over it and you could see both and, and they, got, they got it wrong. <laughs> But I've thought uh, Walmart may have gotten it wrong on the pavement, but how many Christians get it wrong in their heart? It's not that we don't know how to spell yielded. We don't know how to live yielded. We come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but we're not willing to yield to a brother or sister in Christ, are we? But wisdom from God says you're gentle and you're willing to yield. Yielding's hard, but yet... That's how you show wisdom from God, a yielded life. And then the fourth thing he talks about is an authentic life. The last phrases of verse 17, without partiality, without hypocrisy, a sense of authenticity. He really dug down into partiality in chapter 2, where it's a sin to treat people based on just what you see on the outside, discriminate against them, show favoritism, partiality. Also, we live without hypocrisy. The ancient Greek understanding of hypocrisy was rooted in the idea of a stage actor that to change characters, they didn't necessarily put on different makeup and change costume. They held a, a mask, a shield in front of their face, and the, the different masks displayed the different characters. And so this ancient idea of hypocrisy is somebody that will put a, a mask in front of his face and pretend to be something he's not. Well, we see that happening almost every day, don't we? People in our neighborhoods, people in our communities, in our workplaces, and sadly, often people in our churches, they put on a mask and they pretend to be something that they're really not. But wisdom from God enables you to know right and do right, to live an authentic Christian life. Don't pretend to be something or someone that you're really not. So how do you live life such way? If worldly wisdom is so bad and godly wisdom is so good... How can you live with wisdom each day? 
Well, several things you are, are mandatory, are essential that you can't do without. If you want to walk in wisdom, as verse 13 says, show by your good conduct that your works are done in the meekness of wisdom. If you want to live with, like this, first you need to know Christ. You can't do this without Jesus Christ. Jesus himself is our wisdom. The reference is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, where the Apostle Paul says, You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. Jesus is wisdom from God, so you'll never live with godly wisdom without Jesus. You've got to have a personal saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You've, you've got to give your life to Jesus. Everyone of us was born separated from God. Nobody is born knowing God. We're born separated. We're born enemies of God. Romans 3.10 says there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah chapter 53 said all we like sheep have gone astray. When you were born, you were God's enemy is what the Bible says. We were separated from him. But God is rich in mercy. And with great love he loved us. And he sent his only begotten son, his, 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 the, the, God, the son that same, shared the same DNA that he shared. That's what it means to be, be only begotten. He sent his one and only son to die on the cross to pay the price for my sins and for my shame and my guilt and your sin and your shame and your guilt. And God took him who was righteous and made him to bear our sins and so that we who are sinful could then put on God's righteousness. And then the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, doesn't matter who you are. <laughs> if you confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No strings attached. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, the sordid life that you've lived. Jesus Christ can give forgiveness and peace. That's why we confess our sins. We acknowledge we've, we've sinned against God and we yield our hearts and faith to Him. And it's not in the word, the magic words we have to say, but it's when we yield our life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Have you ever done that? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've realized you have offended and sinned against God and only through Jesus can you make it right? If so, that's where it begins. You've got to give your life to Christ. You confess your sins, and by faith you believe what the Bible says about Jesus, and you will be saved. You come to Christ. And then he gives you wisdom to live for Christ. So the first thing, you've got to know Christ. The second thing is you've got to know Scripture. If you want to know what's right and do what's right, you've got to know Scripture. When the Apostle Paul wrote to, um, uh, to the Colossians, Colossians 3.16, he said, let the word of Christ, and for us, that's the scriptures, dwell in you richly in all wisdom. There it is. The word of Christ will give you wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So God's scripture, God, if you're waiting for God to guide you with a booming voice out of heaven, you're going to miss it. He's going to guide you through the scriptures. So if you want to know what's right and how to do what's right in your life, You've got to know Christ. You've got to know the Scriptures. Spending time reading the Scriptures. James even talked about that in James 1.21. He said, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word. Again, God's Word, what you hold in your hand, 
That is God's word to you. And if you want to hear God speak out loud, read the Bible out loud, then you'll hear God speaking out loud. And if you want to walk in wisdom, you've got to know Christ Jesus first, and then you've got to know the Scriptures. People think, I want to know God's will for my life. What should I do? But if your Bible, if your Bible is closed, how do you expect to know what God's will is for you? Now, don't worry. I'm not here to tear you down. I'm here to build you up because Bible reading is something that many people don't do but anybody can do. And you can do this. So let me encourage you, if you really want to grow close to Jesus Christ, grow in your faith, you just have got to find some way to be reading the Bible at home during the week. You won't have wisdom from God without it. The third thing you've got to know is prayer. You've got to know prayer because it is through prayer that God gives us wisdom. James says that himself. James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Spend time in prayer. Prayer, prayer is vital. That's why on November the 1st, Sunday night, November the 1st, it's a Sunday night before uh, National Election Day, we're going to have a prayer and communion service. We're going to come together to pray for our country, for our city, for our church, our community. Praying together. That's why those who are involved in our 100 days of prayer through our discipleship groups are spending time not just gabbing and, and, and carrying on, but hopefully spending time praying together. That's important when you pray together. And I encourage you to be a part of a discipleship group. Everybody needs to be a part of something like that. So it is through a personal relationship through Christ, reading and studying the Scriptures, and spending time in prayer, that God will give you his wisdom. And remember our main thing to know? Godly wisdom enables me to know right and to do right. And go back to that story from uh, J.I. Packer. Wisdom is not when you get to be in the control room and see how it all fits together. There'll never be a time in your life (laughs) on this earth Well, you'll be able to explain everything. But wisdom is when you're on that sharp curve that came out of nowhere, and it's a dark, moonless night, and the rain and the wind are blowing. In that moment, in that situation, God's wisdom helps you to know how to take that curve. What is the situation in your life right now that you need that kind of wisdom. What what is the sharp curve? You may not know why that sharp curve was put there. And you don't know why it's such a dark night. But you're there anyway, aren't you? Some of you are right there. you got issues with elderly parents. And you don't know what to do. Maybe you've been told your job's being phased out and you've uh, you've been fired. Or maybe the doctor has talked about some long treatment, not sure if you're going to survive or your your family going to survive. In that sharp curve in the dark of night, if you know Christ, if you know Scripture, if you know prayer, God's wisdom in that moment will help you to know what's right and help you to do what's right. So of those three things, Christ, Scripture, and prayer, what's the missing part of your life. If you've never come to faith in Christ, that's where it begins. If you aren't reading the scriptures, you need to do that to get wisdom. 
Are you spending time in prayer? Have you prayed about this sharp curve you're in? And through Christ and the scriptures and through prayer, godly wisdom will guide your life. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray this morning that you're teaching us through your Holy Spirit to give our lives to Jesus Christ, to learn your word, and to spend time with you in prayer. Help us to walk with godly wisdom in such a way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing our final song, let me ask you to respond according to how God has been teaching you. I'm not asking you to walk forward. Um, We haven't resumed that yet. But you can send me an email. My email is john at fbc-statesboro.org. Nobody filters it. Nobody screens it. It comes straight to me. Also, you've seen these... uh, Connect cards uh, in the back of the pews. You can scan these or get home. Well, you can find this connect card online and give you a chance to say, here's my response. Here's something I need somebody, I'd like to meet with a minister. I'd like to commit to baptism. But as we sing this final commitment song, you decide how you will respond to the truth that God has taught you in your heart today. Let's stand together and let's sing this commitment song now. Thank you again for joining our live stream this morning. As we wrap up our service inside, I'd like to let you know that you too can make a commitment to follow Jesus by going to fbcborough.church. There you can learn about our ministries, programs, and activities, or you can let us know that you've made that decision to follow Jesus. We look forward to walking alongside you on this journey, and thanks again for joining First Baptist Church this morning.